The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Nine minutes after eight. Thank you so much for tuning into the show this morning. And if you've just joined us for the forum, welcome to you as well. The situation in Burundi is tense as President Pierre Nkurunziza seeks a third term in office. Now, in terms of Burundi's constitution and the 2005 Arusha Peace Accord, a president can only be in office for two terms. The constitutional court in that country, however, ruled that Nkurunziza could run for a third term on a technicality. His first term does not count, they say, as he was appointed by Parliament. Nguruziza is not the only African leader who is struggling with letting the reins of power go. There are so many others uh, that we can also talk about. And uh, we are asking you this morning on the Forum at 8, how should we deal with African heads of state who refuse to relinquish power? And joining us for this discussion, uh, Professor Sumatota Fikeni, who is a political and uh, policy analyst. Thanks for your time this morning, Prof. Thank you, Sakina, and good morning to your listeners. And we also have with us Professor Gilbert uh, Kadia Jala, who is a Jan Smuts Professor of International Relations at the University of the Witwatersrand. Thanks for your time as well, Prof. Uh, thank you, and good morning. And I think at the onset, um, we, we need to be clear that we are not saying that, you know, dictatorships are uh, something that's peculiar to Africa. But our focus this morning is, of course, on Africa. So just to repeat that question that we have, how should we deal? How can we deal with African heads of state who refuse to relinquish power? Now, uh, to our panel this morning, just a rundown and also perhaps for the benefit of our listeners um, uh, uh, of uh, the longest serving um, African heads of state, Theodore Obiangungwema of Equatorial Guinea, 35 years in power. Jose Eduardo dos Santos of Angola, 35 years in power. Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe, 34 years. Paul Bia of Cameroon, 32 years. Uh, Yoweri Museveni of Uganda, 28 years. Omar al-Bashir in Sudan, 25 years. Idris Debi in Chad, 23 years. Azayas Awekri of Eritrea, 23 years. Uh, Yaya Jame of the Gambia, 20 years. And uh, Dennis Sasu Ngueso uh, of the Republic of Congo, 17 years to name the top 10 only. Now, is this a problem? Uh, let me start with you, Prof. Uh, Figeni. Is it a problem at all that we should have people who are in power for such extended periods of time? It certainly, on average, is a challenge uh, that you'd have the same person over and over again over decades. Because with the changes in the world, you do need a new blood, you do need a new thinking, and therefore you wouldn't have that it is stifled when you do have a situation where the same ruler is in the same place, sometimes applying the same lens and prism to view things which are emerging challenges. So if this is the case, Professor Kadia Jala, you know, um, how does the situation even come to be um, if one considers, you know, Africa had to deal with colonialism, we defeat colonialism, and now we are stuck with a different kind of problem. How does that even arise? Uh, there are two ways of doing it, dealing with it. One is that you need people who can stand up and uh, throw away those leaderships. Uh, this has happened in so many, many countries. Last year we had Burkina Faso. 
where the leader tried to change the constitution to stay in power. And people stood up and they said no. So we saw that in North Africa uh, to 2011. There have been patterns in Africa where uh, people get fed up and they, they have to go to the street and they have to be prepared to, in fact, uh, die for, for the cause of changing leadership. So I think the good news is that uh, there has been a trend for the last 20, 25 years for most of these leaders to get out of power after five or after 10 years or so or eight years. So I think things are changing. But uh, meanwhile, we have to deal with the fact that there are others who don't want to live. And the only way you can deal with them is to make sure that there is a vigilant population. And speaking of vigilant uh, populations, I mean, uh, what sort of powers do they actually have, Professor uh, Kadia Jala? Because very often, as is the case right now in Burundi, uh, the situation turns into one of violence. Uh, Burundi is a unique case because it's been going through very many years of civil war. And then regional and international actors tried to help them come up with a constitution that gave the country some predictability. And that constitution is one of the best constitutions in the region because it's a power-sharing constitution, but it's also very strictly on term limits. Mr. Nguruziza is supposed to be in power only for two terms. And there are no ambiguities about that. But the problem is that, uh, you know, these people come to power, they get arrogant, and then they manipulate uh, tribalism, ethnicity. They continue to, in fact, to appeal to all these sentiments that created civil wars in the first place. So it's a very difficult situation. But my point is that ultimately to deal with people, to deal with leaders who don't respect rules, you need at least a very active citizen that can challenge their stay in power. But we also need regional mechanisms. Uh, in East Africa, you have the East African community. These are mechanisms that are going to help these countries begin to solve their problems together. And part of this mechanism is to say, how can we behave as reasonable men and women? We have to respect the rules that we put in place. The African Union also has the same mechanism. They say African leaders should not overstay in power. So how can we make African leaders actually respect all these uh, rules and provisions and so on? But we also need, as I said, people who know, who can stand up for their rights and who can contest these rights. Mm. And, and, and Professor Figeni, and that is the question, you know, uh, these regional mechanisms, how effective are they if, uh, you know, people continue to abuse the powers conferred upon them and stay in uh, power indefinitely? How effective are these regional mechanisms? Well, any multilateral organization is as effective as its leaders are prepared to commit resources. If they are not prepared to commit resources because AU... SADC, ECOWAS, United Nations, NATO, all work on the basis of the member states willing to enforce or willing to be decisive. But again, coming to the point you made earlier, civic activism and constitutionalism, even amongst the judges, amongst the political leaders, 
to believe in the rule of law instead of rule by law is key in the African continent. Of course, one has to acknowledge the progress made through the new constitutional adoptions as well as elections and the peaceful changes of power. But it remains the case, as you pointed out, that we do have quite a substantial number of people who have become more of an institutionalized entity of authority within their own states. And it also raises the question of a double standard, perhaps in certain instances, where you have, you know, countries uh, that espouse a a democracy in all its facets, having cozy relationships with known dictatorships. I mean, how does that work, Professor Fikeni? Well, during the time of the Cold War or any imperial relationship, you will have superpowers which simply adopt certain states which are fairly autocratic, but for their geopolitical and security needs. But when they meet those they do not like, they quickly raise the issue of values. And uh, that is where the issue of uh, inconsistency uh, comes in. It's the same debate around the nuclear disarmament. The superpowers will be all over the place trying to get North Korea and Iran to disarm but they would be generally silent about Israel having the same weapons in the same region. And they are even more muted about their own weapons, which are nuclear arsenals, which they keep improving. Mm-hmm. And then and also just coming back to this question of, you know, the citizens and their power. But, but, but before we even look at that, why would people want to stay on indefinitely, Professor Kadiajala? It's a pattern that has been with us for a long time, that uh, power corrupts and uh, corrupts absolutely. So that's the key. I mean, um, you you go into office, you like the facts of the office, and you don't see life outside the office. I think that has been uh, the the pattern globally. Uh, But that pattern has only been broken when you have very clear rules about term limits. Five years... Eight years, ten years, you're out. Uh, most countries have done it, but we still struggle here because, uh, I mean, we, we lived after colonialism through many years of authoritarian rules, and they were accepted. I mean, we had military rules in places in, in most of Africa in the 70s and the 60s. Into the 80s, these were accepted. Uh, so most of the people who are still in power, the lingering groups that are still in power from Bia, Mugabe were there before the, the real dispensation. They came to power before the democratic dispensation of the 90s. So it's it, uh, understandable that some of them would still be around because it was a, the common practice to be in power until you die. So the problem is we're just trying to recover. We're trying to create new rules that are going to uh, change that kind of history, that pattern of, of authority and authoritarianism. This is going to take time. And as I said, if we are not as uh, committed to the rules that we put down, then we are, we, con- we are continually going to have leaders who are going to abuse their positions in power, and they are going to be around until they die. Well, the question we're dealing with this morning, how can we deal with 
African heads of state who refuse to relinquish power. That's what we're grappling with today. You can call us on the number 891 SMS us on 34701, or you can tweet or Facebook AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo. And uh, just before we go to the calls there, uh, Professor Figeni, it's not just about, you know, um, the incumbent uh, refusing to relinquish power. Uh, we've also seen in certain instances um, trends of uh, dynastic politics. Um, Kabila, for example, you know, um, where his father died and then he took over. And, and, and there are trends of those kinds emerging as well. Well, <clears throat> there are such trends, but they are not as strong in the African continent as it is the case elsewhere. If you look at Syria, for example, if you look at North Korea, if you look, surprise, surprise, at the Bush family in the U.S. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it is uh, not something of the norm in the African continent. Once a personal ruler dies, their children find it very difficult to climb into power. Uh, very few exceptions you'd have, like the one of Kabila, which emerges in the context of a country in the civil war, but ordinarily that is not a trend. Yes, we do hear of Grace Mugabe threatening to climb, but I doubt she will have all the networks and the gravitas or even the backing of the security to make it through uh, to the helm of ZANU. Well, we're going to take your calls now on 0891-104-208. That question again, how should we deal with African heads of state who refuse to relinquish power? Let's go to uh, Hutatso in Pretoria. Good morning. Morning, morning Sakina. Uh, the first one is the way you introduce, for me, my, the way you introduce the topic about Burundi. Uh, I, I, I would have thought that uh, we... We are concerned about illegal uh, uh, seizure of powers, illegal refusal to leave power when one term is uh, is over. In this case, there is uncertainty. But I'm saying, if we respect the rule of law, we would respect the fact that the Supreme Court in uh, Burundi has said this man has not exceeded his term limit. So that is my my my, my first point. The second point is, what is the obsession with term limits? I mean, in a country like Britain and I think Australia and many other countries, uh, there are no term limits. I mean, uh, in France, it's uh, up to 14 years. So uh, we're not obsessed with copying European models of democracy that in many senses may not necessarily work for us. So I'm not, I'm not saying that I support presidents who refuse to leave power. You've mentioned enough of them who clearly do not want to leave power. But I think I'm also worried when we want to impose this uh, term limit uh, 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 without taking into consideration the context within which we are operating. Okay. Thanks so much, Khutatso. Felix in Nelspreet, good morning. Hello, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I think the question should be asked that why should a leader who is in power want to leave power? Because they benefit so much from it. So why would they want to leave? They benefit their friends, their families, everybody's benefited around them. So the question remains, why would they want to leave? So I think it's the people themselves that must rise up all the time. Because these same leaders will change the constitution, 
they will find a way to bribe the judge in the constitutional court or whatever it is to remain in power. So it is the people themselves that must be strong enough to rise up and say, enough is enough, even if we are going to die, even if you are going to kill all of us, we will see who you are going to rule over. Okay, that's Felix in Nelspreet. Um Maybe leaving because it is the right thing to do, or is that too simplistic? I don't know. KGM in Cape Town, good morning. Uh, good morning, Sakina, and good morning to your guest. Welcome. Um, Sakina, you know, it, it, it's very fascinating most of the time when we, we expect this cut-and-paste system to, to work wonders as it supposedly does in, in, in foreign lands. Firstly, I think we need to consider the fact that this system is foreign to us as Africans. Uh, we, we, we seem to be wanting to, to suggest that whatever happens elsewhere, especially in the West, should or must work the same way in, in Africa. The, the reason why, one of the reasons why mostly African leaders are believed, uh, and I'm not really condoning those who uh, refuse to relinquish power when the time arrives uh, constitutionally in their own countries. But we are also forgetting that African systems, part of it being the chieftainship or the kinship, if you like, we, we, we don't have terms naturally for these things. And the, the second point is, it's a pity that uh, most of these leaders, if not all of them, fail to to take uh, to, to to have confidence enough to tell us exactly what their masters are telling them. Because if you take, for instance, the example of Robert Mugabe, who once once upon a time was a darling of the West, he he tends to have realized the messy situation that uh, the, his his uh, uh, former. Uh, uh, bosses, so to speak, got him into. And when he, he saw that, he decided to do things uh, more relatively the African way, and he became the enemy of the West. And I think we need to get into those de- details instead of just simplistically saying they are refusing to be in power. Have we checked the reasons why they are refusing to leave power? Okay, so are you saying then, KGM, that there's nothing wrong with someone staying in power for 40 years? Are you saying there's nothing wrong with that? As long as it's, it's constitutional in line with what the, the, the people of those, of those countries. And, and a shining example again is Zimbabwe. I mean, Zimbabweans, we, we as South Africans cry foul, hey, Mugabe doesn't want to leave, hey, Mugabe. But Zimbabweans keep on voting the men back into power. So why are we making noise about it if the people in Zimbabwe themselves, in exception of the few that will come to South Africa and want to be South Africans, why are we making noise about it? If if we decided, I mean, the last example here in South Africa, we had problems or challenges in terms of Zuma himself being accused of so many things. We we decided to have him as a president, regardless of all the things that he was accused of. People should should cry foul and say Zuma is a criminal. He is a president right now, as we speak, despite the fact that he he's been touted to be a criminal since day one in office. It's the same thing that is happening in other countries, and I'm not saying. It's okay for, for those, as I said, who refuse this because th- their time has, has lapsed okay. in office. Got you there, KGM in Cape Town. Adam in Johannesburg, good morning. Firstly, uh, I, I've seen to you this is a kind of apologist tone. You know, the, the, what's happening in Africa, the fact is that you have a lot of corrupt rulers who simply refuse to leave office when they've been invited out. I mean, I don't think we should apologize or... Uh, or, or, or make excuses for them or hold them up to a different standard. They are human beings just like everyone else. Second point is, point is just quickly, 
to your your guest, the professor, the difference between Israel's alleged nuclear weapons and those, for example, in North Korea and Iran is that the other two, those other two countries haven't, uh, North Korea and Iran haven't, uh, th- those are the ones that have threatened the existence of other countries threatening to use their nuclear weapons. Israel has never even admitted the possession. So I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a false point. It's, 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 it's not a correct one. I just want to be sure to correct the professor mm. on that. But that's a good that, point, that Adam, point. because uh, the fact that you say they haven't admitted it, everybody knows that Israel has well, nuclear capability. Well, Sikina, with respect, nobody really knows because they haven't admitted it. There haven't been uh, inspections. And, they, you know, they, people say that everyone knows. But the main point is they don't threaten to use them against others and destroy the state. That's the main point. And that's why if you look at the attitude taken towards Israel and the attitude taken towards North Korea and Iran, uh, they're very different. I mean, okay. It's clear. All right. Uh, thanks, Adam, for that. But we digress about uh, the uh, nuclear talks because the question we're grappling with this morning, how can we deal with African heads of state who refuse to relinquish power? And uh, just running through some of your messages on the SMS line, uh, this one says each of the six regions in Africa has no less than four long serving tyrants who will then support a move of two terms for presidents if brought up by the Pan-African Parliament. Temba says, show me any other continent that has anything close to the list you read out. Instead, we promote uh, Robert Mugabe to some high position. And this unsigned one, SK African leaders and their double standards. Uh, Yuweri Museveni changed uh, the constitution for third and fourth terms with the blessings of America and other powers. Jonathan says, wrong precedent has been set and why blame Nkurunziza? African precedent is set. The guy with the biggest stick stays in power. And Jonas Masinga and Imalatheni says, uh, they must be removed by force, finish and clar. Jay in Alspreet says uh, just like the UN, the EU is a joke um, where the same leaders meet for coffee and they chat about how to extend their dictatorships. We need an African spring. These leaders will never change. This one says create foundations on their behalf and donate so that when their tenure comes to an end, they can be able to survive. And Norman in Cottondale says our own Jacob Zuma also said he will run for one term at first but then he changed his mind when the term ended so those are some of the sms's and just a few uh, uh tweets to run through african by nature says removing an african leader of some of the same color is difficult uh more so than colonialism because it always leads to religious tribal and sectarian wars aniki clark says as a student doing african politics i did uganda as a case study and um in a new leadership and that was 28 years ago. Museveni is still there. Jacques Cupido says, is it African leaders who stay in power or is it the electorate who keeps voting them in? Zubair Sayed says, uh, we need citizens and a strong civil society to hold leaders accountable and we need foreign governments uh, to not use our leaders as pawns. And Elias Chinemo says, it's greedy and um, they are also protected by their followers, the ministers, because they all benefiting whilst they uh, enjoy all of that, the majority suffer. So those are some of the comments coming through, the calls streaming through, and we'll come to them in just a moment, 0891104208. But I just want to uh, refer to our guests very quickly uh, to respond to some of the issues that were raised by the callers. Let's go to Professor uh, Kadia Jala. Prof? 
Yeah, I wanted to respond to the issue of term limits. Actually, term limits are not uh, universal. So, I mean, uh, there are many countries in the world that don't have term limits. The problem, however, in Africa is that we have very fragile political systems. We we have a constitution that are still very new, that are not very clearly defined. So term limits help us, actually, in that respect, because otherwise we are going to have men and women, uh, men staying in power for 50 years if we don't have term limits. So the point has always been, yes, Britain doesn't have term limits, but they have had a long history of uh, building constitutional framework. They are more comfortable in dealing with rotation of power peacefully. Here we don't have that legacy. So term limits are just one way for us to actually begin to build a culture of constitutionalism. That is the, the biggest point. Mm. And then, then there was an issue. Yep. The other issue was that of uh, Western influence and how, when it suits them, Western powers seem to prop up African leaders um, until they are no longer useful and how this is impacting on this whole notion of dictatorships in Africa. Yeah, that's an old and, uh, I mean, it's an old uh, argument that makes sense but in some respects actually doesn't make sense because these people are responsible. I mean, these people have been dependent. They are supposed to be the ones who are creating rules at home. I mean, I know that Western countries uh, would care less what constitutional frameworks they have in their own home countries, but it's to them to begin to say, how do we build our own rules? And then we can meet the West halfway. If the West doesn't want to interfere with our affairs, why can't we begin to be more creative on our own. I, I, I know that there is an argument that external actors have a lot of influence in Africa, but over the years I think we've tried to, to, to mitigate that problem by saying we know it's good rules that we should build for our own society. We need to respect the rules that we create. We need to be more responsible people. And we should not keep complaining about Westerners or lording over us every time. Otherwise, we are not going to build our own institution. And, of course, uh, we're going to take more of your calls on 0891-104-208. How can we deal with African heads of state who refuse to relinquish power? That's what we are asking. Colin in Pretoria, good morning. Hey, good morning. Hi, Colin. Yeah, thanks very much uh, for for this. Um, I think I should... Partly just start uh, by saying that, yes, they are both... We need to understand first why is it that these things happen. And the reasons are both external, which we call exogenous, and internal, which we call endogenous. Uh, On the exogenous part, obviously, there's this kind of influence from the other powers, and they always do that. They'll not stop, so we can't always wait, wait for them. We need to get organized ourselves as Africans. We can deal with the endogenous factors, the internal ones, one of which is adherence to the rule of law. Now, let's take the example of Burundi in context. In terms of whether this uh, president is right or wrong, I think we can only refer to what the High Constitutional Court has said. They say it's constitutional. I think we have little uh, uh, leeway in terms of trying to say whether that is uh, true or not. But we know that it is possible that the High Court judge might have miscarried justice. The questions are why. The answers lie in the issue of investments in our institutions. 
It would be a lie if we expect that our democracies can work if we do not invest much in the institutions that are supposed to uh, uh, help them operate. So if the judge at the high court depends, I mean, his existence depends on the executive, they are not going to do anything against the executive, knowing fully well that they can be fired. We need to make them independent. And after that, we also have to invest in these other institutions like uh, uh, the general legal structures and strengthen the civil society institutions as well as the private sector. What those do is that even if the government is becoming too arrogant, they can mobilize themselves so quickly to try and challenge that. But what is happening in Burundi at the moment, I can imagine, is that the civil society institutions are not well organized. The private sector institutions which are there, they owe a lot to the government. There's no much room that they can easily challenge those. So if we can uh, invest in strengthening those institutions, we can be sure that we can control that that, that kind of power. Okay. Now, when it comes to issue of limits, term limits, they are not universal, as some people have said. We know there are some other countries with long-term limits which have done very well. It has to be contextual. Uh, Mananga in Cape Town, good morning. Uh, morning, thank you very much. I'm going to go straight to the point. I disagree with your last uh, speaker when he says that there's no uh, time limit. That we, there is a time limit. Remember, most of the people, m- most of the people who actually doesn't know how a, a political institution should be run, they always try to make any kind of point without the basis on which we can appreciate them. We are not currently are not in the monarchy. We are we are in the republic. A republic, there's all, always three powers, source of power. There's a legislature, there's an executive, there is a judiciary. Those two powers are the power that runs the country, which means, which, which means executive, which is the government, he needs to depend on the legislature where he, he finds himself, he's he going to get the power from, and the judiciary. But it's not the monarchy. In the monarchy, all the power are concentrated by one person who is in power, who can do what he wants. So if the African leaders, the case of Africa's leaders, who doesn't want to release the power, those people, they refer to the old system, the old system that, that the monarchy or the kings, they consider us like the subject so that they can do what they want, they can vote out, they can uh, impose what they want. But we are in the republic. That's the reason why... Uh, the reason why I disagree with that uh, speaker, and my last point, I'm proposing that we need to have the African Good Government Commissions. That is the institution that can be a stronger institution to appreciate how the, the, actually the, 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 the people in power, the head of state, are behaving and help the people, the people in each country actually to be moved. Because if you say... The, the, in every country, there's a constitution. That constitution actually tells the term of office. It says two terms. How come that somebody can corrupt the who is part of government, which is executive, can corrupt the legislature, can corrupt the judiciary, so that he can extend the wing and just do what he wants? Okay. Thank you so much, Mananga in Cape Town. Justice in Springs. Yes. Good morning, Sagina. Morning, Justice. Good, good. Uh, the only solution that I think myself can work for Africa, is for African leaders to come together on, on an EU organization and agree themselves as leaders to say how many terms 
guys, can we rule our countries before we step down? Because they must agree so that maybe they tell each other, hey guys, you know, when you rule for three terms, you would have made enough for yourselves and for your families to step down. Because without that, we will still have this uh, problem in Africa. They must agree and come together and say, Africa, we have defeated colonialism. Now what is the best for our countries? Let's rule for three terms or for two terms in Africa. Okay. When a country or a leader refuses to do that, then there must be a mechanism to remove him from power as Africans. Thank you. Thank you so much, Justice in Springs. Fanuel in Bryanston, good morning. Good morning. Hello, Fanuel. First of all, I'll start by blaming the African Union. Uh, my view is that African Union does almost nothing to implement good leadership in Africa and a good practice of democracy until a country or a specific country is plunged into misery, into chaos then all the African leaders, including the African Union, will start blaming the action, which is just the result of the misconduct of many of African leaders. Now, we have constitution. Each and every country, African country, has constitution in place. And the African Union is well aware of these constitutions. What they have to do now is to implement strong rules against African leaders, and each and every African leader has to comply, whether it's right or wrong. But if they've saved their term, they have to step down, or either they are removed by force, or their power, their power is completely ignored. I guess in this way, we'll, we'll get Africa going somewhere. This is just unacceptable. And the worst part of it is that most of these African leaders who are clinging into power, they've done almost nothing to their countries compared to the time they took the power and to this uh, and the number of, after the number of years they spent in power if you have to assess the country uh, inf- infrastructure economics uh, 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 social life and everything is just terrible misery and I, I I really believe that there is no pressure on them they feel like they they're just above the law and that's why I'm saying the African Union is not doing enough Thanks. Okay, thank you so much uh, there, um, Fanuel in Bryanston. Professor Fikeni? Well, I do think uh, the most important thing that we should be addressing ourselves is the question that was rhetorically raised by one of the callers to say, what must we make or do to make post-leadership retirement attractive? One of those, I do think that maintaining the salary of a leader and the security protocol to some degree and uh, might go a long way because some of them, it might just be a matter of security and being downgraded. The second one is to make sure that there should be no persecution on unreasonable ground where a leader has lost elections or has been ousted in one form or another on unreasonable ground, I emphasize that part, suddenly is persecuted. So many leaders then start thinking that it's not worth it. And uh, lastly, 
one of the things should be to assist the leaders to have a meaningful life, engage them, whether to start foundations, to start writing their memos and so forth, have an institutionalized mechanism or involve them in some of the forums. For example, A. Jerry Rawlings happened to have led a coup that ended all coups in Ghana. You could learn a lot as to how that is done, Babangida and so forth. Others, like Chisano, were involved in negotiations. We could learn a lot from them. But most important, the other point is, as the other caller was saying, strengthen the institutions and empower the citizenry so that they can be watchdogs whenever the rules are violated in many ways. But I want to caution those who say it is the African way. The modern construction of a state is Western, primarily. So we can't, when it is convenient, take a portion and say it's African way when it is not. We should begin to interrogate what is the African indigenous institutional mechanism of governance? And what can be adopted into the more modern sphere? For example, in a traditional setting in many ways, even a king or a chief would listen to the people deliberating and take a consensus position that is on average because it was not always that we had dictators even in the traditional setting. Mm. So those are some of the things that we should not throw uh, you know, casually, because most of the dictators like Mobutu Seseko used the whole notion of Africanness and abused it. How do we deal with African heads of state who refuse to relinquish power? That's the question we are asking on the forum at 8 this morning. Let's hear from Tando in East London. Good morning. Dr. Somadoda says strengthen the institutions. That's exactly it. They don't want the institutions to be strengthened. Look at Tawo's Nepad, the Leopard, what they did to it. I mean, they weakened it because it had peer review this. It had all the mechanisms that actually have these people to account, but they made sure that, no, Tabo has to go. I think it's one of the reasons, actually, he, he had to go. Not that he is exonerated from other leaders who have questionable things because the arms, the arms deal and other things, of course. For me, uh, KG, or what's it, that guy from Cape Town, he nailed it. He actually said it so well that these guys have got to have the courage to say, who are actually they serving? I mean, okay, one wonders what the scenario would be, say, if uh, Krisan would still be alive, uh, Sankara will see, uh, went on to rule, or, you know, uh, Lumumba and, and everybody else. One wonders what the complexion would be. But I'd like to just cite a, a, an example of one of the reasons that Africa <laughs> will never change. Look at what happened nearly in in in, in Guinea uh, that when uh, Ma- uh, Margaret Thatcher's son and the others they wanted to to, to take over uh, uh, this country was his, was, uh, and they wanted to actually make the country an ATM. I mean that's basically it. I mean there's always those dogs of war that actually uh, uh, put the set on Africa to actually conquer and actually have those guys in their pockets. So it. 
I don't know how it will ever change because until the AU stops being just a careerist uh, uh, situation or just an NGO, big NGO, and actually trying to, 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 to put mechanisms where actually these leaders will be removed. Okay, got you there, Tando in East London. Kailisa Kumalo says, uh, these heads of state who overstay their welcome should know that there's life after state house and the AU must act against them. For Kanye, Kanye Nyati says, um, look at uh, Sepp Blatter, FIFA president, and Isa Haya to the CAF president. They both want to rule just till Jesus comes in football. Uh, Blessing says, please tell KGM that in Zimbabwe, people are threatened or killed if they support opposition parties. It's not like they choose to vote for Mugabe. And then uh, Zenzelem Gleche says, the common denominator in all these despots is that their people are suffering and there's no new thinking when it comes to economic challenges. Uh, Black Black Sheep says, I believe there is nothing wrong with democracy as it is. We just need willing leaders who are committed to it. And Francis Idris says, we need a standard time limit for all African countries. Two terms of five years is good enough. Anything beyond that becomes a dictatorship. Jay Ponky says, we need fresh blood. I plead with the AU to ensure two-term maximum constitution is adhered to. Uh, but now Nkuruziza rejects the AU calls. And outside thinker says, the AU needs to to develop a spine and act decisively to stop these tyrants. Oh, I forgot. The AU is made up of them. And then uh, some from the Facebook page, uh, Lutando says, I think the benefits of power are disproportionate to the standard of living in African countries. That makes the president's fear a return to normal life when their tenure ends. And we must reduce the benefits that are attached to the office of the president. Uh, Mervyn Makalina says, send in African force to remove them, jail them and strip them of their privileges uh, accorded to presidents. If they can violate the constitution, the people can insist on removing those privileges. Henka Kutsia says they don't uh, respect their people and the structures and they will make sure that they use the money to neutralize people. And uh, so many others also coming through here. SMS line quickly. Claire in George says, to reply to KGM, Mugabe lost an election but rigged a recount. Tandy says, if the guys in power were delivering, yes, I believe four years max and out. Otherwise, outstead. It is unbelievable the suffering going on in this world because of bad leaders. Enough is enough. It is 2015. Josh in Pretoria says, the uneducated voters are the problem for Africa and leaders like it that way. Educate the masses and many of these problems will disappear. And uh, so many of you are talking about the AU, saying the AU is irrelevant and so on and so forth. But unfortunately, we have to start wrapping it up. Professor uh, Khadija Jala, let me start with you. You know, the AU has already created the mechanisms that uh, address those issues that uh, the callers are asking, especially the, the Charter on Democracy and good governance in Africa. It came into effect in um, 2011. The problem is how you get more African leaders to buy into it. Because if you talk about they need to enforce it, they don't have the resources to enforce it, especially since there are many countries that are actually not obeying their own rules. So we have to say these rules are there, and we need to, to invest more in these rules. The issue of incentives is also there. We have the Africa Forum, we have uh, the panel of uh, eminent Africanists, and a lot of people like Mbeki are playing those roles after the presidency. Many countries have 
provisions for incentives for these people to get out. In Kenya, for instance, uh, they get good salaries after they leave the presidency. Most countries have all those provisions. So we, we are not going to invent the wheel here. All mm. these things are there. But see, what I find problematic with that notion is this. If I, as an employer, if I work for someone, after I go on retirement, you know, I get my pension and that is that. Why should there be an expectation of anything over and above that, Professor Figeni? Well, remember that uh, heads of states do have substantial constituencies even after they lose elections, and those constituencies can either facilitate or frustrate nation-building. So they are not just your ordinary uh, persons. And secondly, the security threats against them once they leave office is not like me and uh, you, hence then they still have to maintain some degree of protectionist. But don't they already have those provisions? They do, but remember that we speak in terms of 53 countries in the continent, 54 to be more precise. But we often pick examples from seven or eight and we don't realize that the situation varies. If there were to be standardization, that is very important to me to consider. But more important, though, many callers lean very heavily on the AU. AU, like EU and many other multilateral organizations, as I started by saying, do not have all that power or standing armies or anything they depend on the member states and their conviction to enforce those rules. Okay. So I think it is very important to have that point in mind. And that's unfortunately all we have time for this morning. Uh, thank you so much to our guest, uh, Professor Gilbert uh, Jala, as well as Professor Somadota Fikeni, and to you, our listeners, and the production team for making sure it went out loud and clear. We're back tomorrow. Right now, it's uh, 9 o'clock, and time for news with uh, Tabile Nguato.